And we'll begin reading in verse number 12. And uh, we'll read down through the end of the chapter, the Lord being our helper. Philippians chapter number 1, please, and verse number 12. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. That one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the furtherance of your joy, uh, furtherance of joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. For by me, by my coming to you again, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Philippians was written uh, towards the close of the Apostle Paul's two-year Roman imprisonment around 61 A.D. These prisons were filthy, poorly ventilated, and were underground. The prisons would be divided into outer and inner areas. You remember uh, that when they put Paul and Silas in prison in Acts 16, that they thrust them within the inner prison. The inner of the parts of the prison were more secure and darker. Prisons would not have individual cells, but rather they would have groups of prisoners chained together in different rooms. Prisons would oftentimes be very crowded. The prisons were designed to psychologically and physically torture a prisoner into confessing. They drafted a law that required the confession to be submitted in written form. And these prisons were designed to strip the prisoner of all his dignity. There were very little rations in the prison. And because of this, friends and families were expected to supply the prisoners with needs. Paul is not in the type of facility that we will go and preach in tonight. Paul is in an underground dungeon under the palace, 
most likely in the inner prison, chained to a wall, chained to other inmates, and chained to soldiers. He has very little light. The city sewage is flowing at his feet. The rats are his biggest house cats. It is a very awful place. But in the midst of all of this, you find Paul writing the book of Philippians, and 18 times he references rejoicing or joy. And I want to take these verses tonight and preach on living for God in a difficult place. Living for God in a difficult place. For if the Apostle Paul in our text tonight could rejoice and be thankful to God and have the type of spirit that I have felt as I read in this text, how much more should you and I that have nice homes, nice vehicles, nice clothes, plenty of food to eat, all the blessings and the provision of life, how much more should you and I be living for God? And I'm not saying we got it easy tonight, but we don't have it like Paul had it. And we don't have it like a lot of those early Christians had it. They had it very tough. They had to sacrifice a lot in those days. But you and I, we have been so blessed and God has been so kind to us. How much more? Paul puts us to shame with his dedication for living for the Lord. May God use these verses to convict us and to challenge us on how to live for God in a difficult place. First of all, I'll say three things out of these verses tonight. First of all, I see the spiritual perspective in these verses. Verses 12 through 18. First, I want us to note in this spiritual perspective the reality of pain. Look at verse number 12. But I would have you to understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the suffering and the pain that he endured for the sake of the gospel ministry. One man stated that Paul probably never had one good day physically. After his conversion, he was beaten. You read 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28, he shipwrecked, spent a night and the day in the deep, suffered beatings by rods, imprisonment, starvation, had his friends walk out and leave him, had people that he ministered to quit on him and walk away. According to 2 Timothy 4, was possibly even thrown to the lines, if you take that literally as I do. But yet Paul said, there are some things that happen to me. There are going to be things in life that's going to happen to you. Things happen. Things occur in life that you cannot avoid, that you cannot get away from. There is the reality of pain, but then notice the revealed purpose. Watch what he said. The things which happen unto me, unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Somebody said, Preacher, what is he talking about this revealed purpose? Verse 12, the things that happened to him was for the furtherance and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word furtherance means a progression. It means an advancement. Think about this. The message that Paul once tried to destroy, he is now declaring. And he is suffering now like he caused others to suffer prior to his conversion. You know what Paul is saying? I have no regrets. These things that happened to me 
All the pain, all the shipwrecks, all the beating, all the torture. Hey, when they walked out and let me, he said, I don't have any regrets. Why? Because the gospel went further. By the way, may I remind you that the Philippian jailer would have never got born again that night had Paul had not been beaten to a pulp and chained to a wall and Paul sitting in that Roman prison and no doubt the devil saying, see, big boy evangelist, big apostle to the Gentiles, how's life going for you now and he said I thank my God upon every remembrance of you hey he said I was beaten I was tortured but that Philippian jailer and his whole house believed on the Lord Jesus Christ he said these things happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel what a perspective verse 13 so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places everyone knew why Paul had been arrested Paul was not a thief. Paul was not a robber. Paul was a preacher of the gospel. And everybody knew why the apostle Paul was arrested. In fact, everywhere Paul went, he went preaching. In fact, there's an interesting verse at the end of Philippians chapter number 4 and verse number 22 where Paul says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Now, Paul's in prison in Philippians 4. Who's all these saints? Who's all these people he's talking about? I'll tell you what it was. Paul went in as a prisoner and he became the pastor. He began to preach. He began to declare. And I believe there were inmates that got saved. And I believe there were guards that got saved. In fact, there were some in Caesar's household that got born again. Why? Because Paul wasn't sitting down saying, Woe is me. Look what's happened to me. I've tried to serve God and all these bad things have happened. No, they had chained ships. They had chained another soldier to Paul and Paul said let me tell you what happened one day on the Damascus road when Jesus Christ changed my life what a spiritual perspective how to live for God in difficult days you better remember it's about the gospel tonight verse 14 many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said, because I've went through all this, my brethren, they're saying, Paul, we're going to preach it for you. Paul, we know you can't get out like you could and you have your testimony, your encouragement, your faith has encouraged us and we're going to preach. They might have tied down the Apostle Paul, but they couldn't tie down the Word of God. For Paul said, the Word of God is not bound. There is the reality of pain, the revealed purpose but I'm talking about his spiritual perspective. Watch his response to preaching. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. That one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing I had affliction of my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding. Every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I am there and do rejoice. And yea, and will rejoice. Now, I'll be honest with you. I had trouble with these verses for a long time, especially as a young preacher. Because I tell you, if I ain't doing it just like me, now hang on. If I ain't doing it just like me, it ain't right. Now, Paul ain't talking about these jaybirds that preach a false doctrine. Because Paul would have called them out. You ever read Galatians 1? Paul would have dealt with that. 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3. He deals with false doctrine. Somebody said, well, what was the issue of these preachers? They didn't like Paul. He said, watch what he says. 
that one preached Christ of contention not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. They didn't like Paul. They didn't like Paul's preaching. And so they're preaching to try to add affliction to Paul's. They're just trying to do anything they can to hurt Paul. But they're preaching Christ. So they're, they're gospel preachers. And then Paul said, there's some that are doing it out of love and have a good will. He said, you know what? I don't even care. If they like me, that's good. If they don't like me, that's good. But if they're preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I rejoice. Now let's make the application of our day. Well, preacher, you know, you preach against the contemporary movement and these men that one, two, three, repeat after me. Well, those are doctrinal issues. They are. But if a man is preaching the gospel correctly, I say praise God. Uh, let's just be honest. I, I preach in 25 to 30 churches a year. Most of them I would not join. Uh, don't look at me bad. They're not bad churches. But they just don't do things like I would want to be a member at. Very few. But Christ is preached. And there I rejoice. What, we are independent. We are unaffiliated. Now, we're, we're, I, I don't understand these churches that want to have no lights. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want anything to observe the world. But I got, I got some guys that do things different than what I like. I'm not talking about a standard or a doctor. I hate hand clapping. I can't stand it. It gets on my nerves. Well, Psalm 47, oh, clap the Lord. Yeah, and the rest of it says, and shout. It means if you're going to clap, you're going to do it at the same time. This ain't a Southern Gospel concert. Hey, give me a hand, you know. It gets on my nerves. I'm going to slap you with a songbook, a big songbook. Faith and family's on that. Wham, right upside the head. But you know what? If I got a friend that does that, and that's where they want, bless your heart. We ain't doing it here. But if that man's preaching the gospel, I rejoice. But now I ain't going to yoke up with somebody that ain't preaching the gospel right and just trying to run through people with repeated prayers and, run, and jack up numbers so they have a contemporary spirit. We're not going that way. Paul is not talking about compromising the gospel. He said Christ is being preached. See, God, those guys, those contemporary fellows, want to take these verses and say, see, we're preaching the gospel. You, you should be okay with us. You ever read any other Paul's epistles? where he dealt with those that, that get away from the traditions that we have been given, he says, you need to mark them and get away from them. And so you can't take just one thing Paul said and not take the Bible collectively and build your own little totem pole for what you want to believe. I'm sure that'll hit uh, the preacher's clips on Twitter, but it'll be all right. But Paul said, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the gospel being preached. Y'all understand what I'm saying tonight? It's about the doctrine. doctrine. By the way, I have found, though, that when you have doctrine right, most everything else will line up right. When you get your doctrine right, most of the time dress will line up. When you get your doctrine right, most of the time music will line up. When you get your doctrine right, you'll put some lights in the church. I have figured out, Brother Richie, I always wonder why these youth conferences and, and these big contemporary churches, they don't have lights in their auditorium. I said, how do they see their Bible? But then I heard some of their preachers preach. I know why they don't need lights. Their preachers don't preach the Bible. So they don't need them. Amen. Here's Paul's, here's Paul's, uh, his, his, first of all, his um, spiritual perspective. But then secondly, verses 19 through 22, I note his settled persuasion. 
I'm talking about living for God on a difficult day. You've got to have a spiritual perspective about things, but you've got to have a settled persuasion. Watch this. There is the evident confidence. Look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying here? Paul said, I know God's going to work through this situation. God's going to help me go on. He's going to do it through two things. The supplication of the saints. He said, through your prayers. And through the supply of the Spirit. And, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You know what that supply is? Exactly what you need, when you need it, as much as you need it. God will make sure you have it. Paul said, I have, a, I have an evident confidence that God will take care of me. Even in these difficult days, even in this difficult place, through the prayers of the people of God, and through the supply of the Spirit of God, be not dismayed whatever be time. God will take care of you. There's the embrace contentment. Verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul wants to get out of prison, no doubt. But he's also contented that if God wants him to stay in prison, he just wants God to be magnified. Paul's main purpose and goal in his life was to magnify Christ. Now, how many of you know what a magnifying glass is? Nobody knows. All right. Does your arms work? Okay, we're not, this ain't Presbyterians. You know what a magnifying, get your hand up. Amen. Do like you do when you go to the pump. <laughs> get your hands up, getting robbed. You know, a magnifying glass if we just, I just put a magnifying glass on the page of my Bible, it would not make my Bible bigger. You can't make it any bigger than what it is. It would just make it look bigger. How are you going to make God bigger? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How are you going to do that? Here's how. Here's what John said. He must increase, and I must decrease. You want to magnify God? Get real small. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up in due season. Paul is saying, I want Christ to be magnified. Paul said, whether it be by my life or by my death, I just want to be magnified. John Phillips tells of a story of a, a logo of a missionary, uh, a, a, the logo of a missionary organization was a picture of an ox. And on one side it was a plow. It was with a plow and the other one it was an ox laying on an altar. Here's what it said. Ready for either service or sacrifice does that not illustrate what Paul's saying Paul said I don't care if God wants to leave me here if God wants to get me out if God wants me to die if God wants me to live I just want Christ to be magnified there's the encouraging consideration verse 21 for me to live is Christ and to die is gain one man said that if the apostle Paul was to sign your Bible and you know how preachers have put a verse after their name they said Paul put Philippians 121 as his life verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, to some people, life is possessions, pleasures, people. But to Paul, you know what life was? Christ. Since God is the giver of life, shouldn't we give God our life? He's the one that gave us life. Shouldn't we give our life back to him? The reason, John Phillips said, the reason Paul could say, and to die is gain, is because Paul said for me to live as Christ. See, when your life is about Christ, you'll look at dying as a gain. 
He'll, he'll emphasize that more in a moment. Verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I, what I shall choose, I want not. Paul states that if he continues to live, that means he's given, he's given more of an opportunity to serve God and to have fruit and have rewards at the judgment seat. Leonard Ravenhill had his tombstone that has this inscription. Are the things you live, you are living for, are the things you are living for worth what Jesus died for? On his tombstone. Are the things you are living for worth what Jesus died for? You know why we don't live for God? Because we won't die. Uh, there was a, a preacher that got a letter from Leonard Ravenhill. And this young preacher was all excited because, I mean, Ravenhill was up in age. Heard the story this week. Ravenhill was up in age and sent this young preacher a letter. And the preacher said he was so excited to rip open that letter and read what the great... If you've never read any of Leonard Ravenhill's books, he'll have you in an altar on the first page. I mean, he's just, just a very convicting writer. Not, not an independent Baptist, but I like his writings. And he was so excited to get a letter from Leonard Ravenhill. And here's what it said. There's room on the cross for you, signed Leonard Ravenhill. That's all it said. He said, preacher, there's room on the cross for you. We want God to get big, don't we? We want God, Lord, we want to magnify you, then we better get small and realize there's room on the cross. There is the spiritual perspective. There is the the, uh, I'm trying to find my notes, the settled persuasion. But last of all, there is the, there is the, the sincere passion that Paul has. Let's close out the text. First of all, he has a personal desire in verse 23. For I'm in a strait betwixt two. Don't you just love going verse by verse? I do. Just, you, get, you get the flow of what Paul's saying. He says, I'm in a strait betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul, notice his entanglement. He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. He said, I want to go and I want to stay. His explanation, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. By the way, people get mad at me when I say this, but take it up with Paul. It's interesting, Brother Richie, Brother Charles, that when Paul mentioned a desire to depart, he mentioned no mansions. Hello? He didn't mention street of gold. He didn't mention grandma. He said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. I know that bothers you. But when you're getting ready to die like Paul was, you ain't thinking about all that other stuff. You ain't thinking. Home is not a place. Home is a person. When I'm gone in a revival meeting and I come home driving late at night, I don't walk up to the door and say, Front door! Man, I've missed you. Steps! It's been a while. I definitely don't say nothing to that dumb dog we have. Except get out of my way. <laughs> Countertops. I do stop by the refrigerator and get a Coke. No, when I get home and I've been gone from my family, I'm looking for someone. 
I'm looking for someone. That's what home is to me. It don't matter if it's where we live at now. It don't matter if it's at our old house. It don't matter if it's at that uh, apartment we lived in or that duplex or that, uh, or that nice mansion we had sitting out here for about six months. It, home is not a place. It's people. And Paul said, I have a desire to go. And I know we miss our loved ones. I, know, I understand all that. But I tell you, beyond all that, when you get ready to die, you want to go see Jesus. Paul said, I have a desire to be with Christ and he makes an explanation or an estimation he said and it's far better you better believe it Paul considering where you're at sitting in a prison cell sitting in a dungeon is far better but I want to let you know living in our nice homes driving our nice cars sitting in this beautiful building I tell you being with Christ is far better than this thank God aren't you glad there's more to life than this there's more to it than this but there is a better land beyond the stars and it's not the walls of Jasper and it's not the gates of Pearl and it's not the mansions but it's him that makes heaven what heaven is his personal desire. But notice his practical duty. Verse 24. Can you see him? Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He said, I really want to go to heaven and see Jesus. But my lot, the will of God for my life presently, is it's more needful for me to abide here with you. Heaven's really real and I really get to go. I said that all the time. But until then, I have responsibilities. I have a calling of God on my life to fulfill the will of God for my life. That's my practical duty. Then notice his persistent dedication. Verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul is stating in these verses that his plan and purpose is to continue to be a blessing and a help to the church. He said, I want to see you grow. I want to see you mature more in the Lord. Hey, thank God for those that invest in your life. Those that take time to pray with you, talk with you about the Bible, teach you. It might be, you could, and, and you could think about people now. It may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a preacher. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a spiritual influence in your life. They just took time to take you over to the side and to exhort you a little bit in the Word of God and help you. That's what Paul said, I want to do for you. And then last of all, his pastoral direction. Verse 27 through 30, he starts to pastor him a little bit. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else I be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, look, your conversation, your conduct, the way you live your life, it needs to be gospel. It needs to be centered around Calvary. A lot of people... Say, praise God, I got started at Calvary and I've went on ever since. Why'd you leave Calvary? Why'd you leave the cross? Why'd you get over? Why, why, why have you left and the reality of what Jesus done? Oh, no, no, no. Every day we live, we're to be considerate and be reminded of what Jesus did. He said, if you'll do that, you're going to stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the face of the gospel. Now, that little phrase, striving together, can mean two things. Stand up, Wichita. Come here. This is striving together. Put your arms up. This is striving together. We're, ready. We're striving together. But you know what? Pick up the pulpit. This is also striving together. A lot of churches, you can put it down. A lot of churches, did I get your toe? I'll try better next time. 
A lot of churches are good at doing this. That's fighting all the time. But they're not good at striving together and getting under the load and bearing the burden. Paul said if you are constantly being reminded of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you won't be doing this. You'll be saying, let's put our arms, let's have one mind, let's strive together. Thank you, brother. What kind of striving are you doing tonight? I know that I got, my wife's going to say, the pulpit's all crooked now. I'm trying to find the carpet in the By the way, we need new carpet. Y'all help me pray about that. Verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation, that of God. He said, now, if you're going to live your life by the gospel, don't expect everybody to say, ain't that wonderful? He said, don't you be terrified because people's going to stand against you. People's going to fight against you. The conflict reminds us that we are not of this world. We're of the glory world. Verse 29, for unto you it is given the behalf of Christ, and not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul said, um, don't think you're going to get through this life without suffering. Here's what Paul said in 2 Timothy 2. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. There's suffering in life. You know, many of us tonight, none of us tonight, know anything about suffering for the sake of the gospel. Many of our brothers and sisters across the sea know something about that. The tortures, the pain, seeing their families killed in front of them for the gospel. They know something about that. We know very little about that. I love America. I do. I'd rather live here than anybody else. They have college football, among other reasons. But America's been given so much... And the American church has been given so much, and we've done so little with it. Twelve men in the book of Acts turned the world upside down with no phones, no computers, no cars, no modern conveniences. And we have all these things. And they suffered the whole time while they're doing it. And there may come a day when suffering comes to the church in America. I think 2020 was a dry run for it. My personal opinion. See me after church, I'll tell you everything I think about it. But there might, there's going to become some more difficult days down the road. You know, Baptist preachers are so funny. Except for me. I'm the normal one. Y'all remember that, right? I'm not the weird one. I'm like the only normal one of my friends. Every election, I'll hear. This is the most important election that we've ever had. Ain't that what you said about the last seven? How many of y'all remember when Obama was the last president America would ever have? Oh, yeah, all the preachers preached on that. He's the last one. We've had two. We've had, we've had one and Joe Biden since then, okay? I almost said one and a half. I don't know if I can give him a half there either, Dominic. Amen? I mean, you know, it's better when preachers just stick to the Bible and they stay off the newspaper. But there's going to be some difficult days coming. I, there's, there's going to be difficult times. But I'm telling you, God took care of Paul. God ain't going to let that church go down. America's probably going to go down. But that church ain't going down. The church is going up. So, the whole point of this, and I'm done, my time's gone. If Paul lived for God in that difficult place, none of us tonight are living where Paul lived. 
All of us tonight will go home to a nice home, a warm bed. We'll have all that. What are we doing for the Lord? Paul's doing all these things for the Lord, sitting in that prison. What have we done for the Lord in the place we're living? May God help us. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. Brother Matthew's going to come. I preached 31 minutes. He's going to play a verse of invitation before we go home tonight. Maybe God has spoken to your heart.